0: Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In this episode, we begin where we left off last week in our introduction to the Holy Spirit episode. Another another thing that happens, you know, we've been regenerated. As soon as that happens, we're also indwelt by the Spirit. And we've alluded to that a little bit, but I just want to read here from, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, uh, oh, which I, I did read this earlier as well, but do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You were not your own, you were bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. So we're indwelt, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is within us when we respond in faith, and we, when we are regenerated, we're indwelt. And then also a passage I preached on a couple of weeks ago makes that very clear as well in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter two. Verse 22, where it says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by or for God by the Spirit. So again, we are indwelled by, by God. And that's for the purpose of glorifying God. Also, as we saw there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's why we are indwelt by him, so that we can there, you know, go and live our lives to glorify, to honor God. Uh, and uh, we can't do that if we don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling us.
1: Yeah, and I like to say um, the idea of dwelling has the idea of him taking up residence in us, mm-hmm. and he's a permanent resident, right? Um, I, I alluded to this, used this imagery a while ago in one of his sermons, but the Holy Spirit is not a, a guest, right? He's, he's a permanent resident, and he's the new owner, and therefore he should have free reign over every part of us. Um, and, and one way to think about this is the connection that's made in the, in the New Testament with the Old Testament temple. Right? There was the physical temple and the Holy Spirit was specially present there. Of course, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent everywhere. God is everywhere, but was specially present in the temple. Well, now we are told that we are the temple of God as, as believers. And so in the same way, he is specially present in us as individual believers and as the body of Christ. And, and one implication of that that I often think about is, well, what would God want done in his temple? And what would he not want done in his temple? What would we never, in a million years, think would be appropriate to be done in that physical temple of God in the Old Testament? Well, how could we possibly then um, excuse those sorts of things being done in now the spiritual temple with us? And that's really, I think, what uh, uh, in First Corinthians six, what Paul is getting at, and why he talks specifically about sexual immorality. He says there should he connects uh, the fact that there should not be sexual immorality amongst believers because we are the temple and you know this can sometimes be helpful but when you are tempted uh to do something particularly maybe regarding sexual immorality just think for a moment like is this something that would be appropriate or would it be of the height of being shameful if this was done in the temp- physical temple of god in the old testament well of course not that could never be done well then why would we do that with our bodies right as we are the temple uh, of God. And And I
0: I think like for myself, I've memorized that verse and at different times where it's just like, you know, for whatever reason I feel like I'm being tempted It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'll, I'll just say that verse and it's huge. You know, I I would really encourage you all memorize that verse. And when, when a time of temptation comes, whether that's to get angry or, uh, or whatever the case is that you're being tempted about, just stop and say, do you not know? Uh, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Uh, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. And that'll, I mean, it's a, it's a huge help, just that reminder and knowing scripture. It's, uh, it's been a huge help to me and it might be a huge help to you as well.
1: And I think especially we need to emphasize that this is now a permanent indwelling. Um, as opposed to the Old Testament, we see the spirit kind of coming and going sometimes um, on different people. This is a permanent Uh, indwelling in this age. In fact, Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, right? So therefore, those who belong to him have the Holy Spirit. And And I find that also so comforting because if the Holy Spirit's in us permanently, again, we're never alone. The spirit's always with us. And no matter what we're facing, no matter what God is calling us to do, the spirit's in us, and will empower us to do what we need to do.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And then, of course, we're indwelt, as as we've, as we've discussed now, but we also read in Ephesians uh, that we are sealed. And we've talked about this quite a bit as well. And that's kind of even what you were just mentioning. You know, we, we've got it for good. <laughs> you know, we, we're sealed. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 13. Uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so, you know, we're safe, we're secure. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is our seal.
1: Uh, It's a a sure thing.
0: Uh, And he's the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, And we look forward to that day.
1: Yeah, what greater guarantee could he give us? Um, to give us uh, eternal security and the assurance of our salvation. Uh, his own spirit, his own self, God, the spirit in us as the seal. That's amazing. That's amazing. I like to think of it often that the word, the term there um, can be used as a, a, a wedding ring. And, um, uh, you know, as a way of guaranteeing that, you know, we are one uh, in, in marriage, uh, bride and groom coming together. Uh, in a similar way. And, and it's sort of like an outward mark. I belong to my wife, right? Well, in the same way, the spirit, when he comes and seals us, spiritually marks us as his own, as, as believers in Christ, as belonging to God. And, and yeah, what a, what a um, assurance that is of our security in him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, another thing we see in the New Testament, uh, several different times is the term that we are baptized in the spirit, uh, or, or by the spirit, and so I thought maybe we could take a little bit of time to discuss that because that, that terminology has been used quite a bit within church circles uh, in, in the last 100 years, especially. And, uh, and I think sometimes it's a little bit unclear as to what the scriptures actually say about uh, baptism by or, or in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read verse 13. of of that text. It's very clear here that we are baptized uh, in the Spirit. So it says, for in one Spirit we were all baptized, that's all believers, into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. And so very clear there that we are baptized into the Spirit. But what that doesn't mean is that there are somehow you know, regeneration happens first, and indwelling happens first, and then baptism is later. No, that, that's not the case, and that's, that is what is taught in, in some places, but the Bible doesn't really make that very clear at all, and here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse, uh, verse 13, I think it's quite clear, for those who are members of the body of Christ, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, those who are members of that body, which is everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, puts their faith in him, are baptized into that body. So it happens it's at the same time. It's, it's, it's just saying that we are regenerated, right? Like we, as you, as you mentioned before, Pastor Jay, we have been brought from death to life. And when you think of baptism, that's what it's all about. Like Romans chapter six makes that very clear as well. When it says, we were buried with Christ uh, and therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life and that too is talking about our spiritual baptism not not that outward baptism that we of course do afterwards in, in response and in obedience to christ in a public declaration um but but this spiritual baptism this baptism in the spirit is something that happens as soon as we become believers
1: yeah, that is a really important distinction to make because there is a lot of confusion about it as this is some kind of second act of grace or some second act of the Holy Spirit that we need to, um, you know, go through, jump through a few hoops, and then the Holy Spirit will baptize us. And, and often the idea is, and you'll know that because you'll have some kind of supernatural experience that proves that or that sort of thing. And um, there's there's a few reasons for that. And just to clarify, one is because what we see happening in Acts 2 so um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was, pro- was prophesied. Um, John the Baptist said this was going to happen in Luke 3. And then in Acts 1, Jesus said, this is going to happen soon. I'm going to send the Spirit and you'll be baptized. And so then in Acts 2, of course, what happens on the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit falls upon them and indwells uh, the, the disciples, fills them. Uh, and baptizes them. And so it's often like, well, wait a minute, weren't the disciples already believers? So now they're getting baptized later and then some, and then they, they they speak in different languages and some other things happen. So, okay, well then I guess that's how it works today too. We're believers and later on somehow the spirit comes and then we do these things. But um, first of all, we have to recognize that there was a transition that happened at this point. They had moved from the old to the new covenant Right And into the church age, something new was happening. And so that's exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in John fourteen seventeen that the Holy Spirit's with you, but he's going to be in you. And so, of course, that needed to happen to them. And then as we see later on, there's other people who had become believers under the old covenant during Jesus ministry or John the Baptist ministry, and they still needed to also have the Holy Spirit come upon them, but they already were believers. But as 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen tells us, that has changed. Now, all of us at the moment of faith are immediately uh, indwelt and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Another issue is that we often don't really think through what that means. Unfortunately, we use the word baptism, which is just a take off of uh, the Greek. But really what that word means, baptizo, just means to immerse. And so we could say that the Spirit's immersion is this immersion or even submersion into, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, the body of Christ. Um, we almost could think of it as like an initiation rite into the body. It's like the moment we believe the Holy Spirit comes upon us and, and spiritually immerses us, places us into the body of Christ. So now we are part of this universal uh, body, the, the universal church. And, and that happens clearly as we see there. Uh, at the moment of conversion so hopefully that kind of clears things up a little bit if you have always wondered well i don't know maybe this is something that's never happened to me maybe i need this maybe i'm missing out on something maybe there's two tiers of christianity christians who haven't been baptized by the spirit and those who have and the scriptures as we've shown do not um support that but rather if you are a believer in christ you are baptized by the holy spirit you've been immersed into the body of christ and therefore you belong to the body of christ you belong to the church if you weren't baptized by the spirit according to first corinthians 12 13 then you wouldn't be part of the body of christ right but of course you are and so just something that i hope is is helpful to our listeners
0: yeah and uh, i think i think that that will be um another thing that we read in the new testament that i think we could take some time to talk about is where uh, we read that the Holy Spirit uh, is, is to be filling us. So we are indwelt by the Spirit. But it also continually says, even after that, to Christians, Paul writes, be filled by the Holy Spirit. So that makes, make, you know, kind of makes maybe our, our heads scratch a little bit and think, well, if we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, how can we be filled? Like, how, how is that more? But the, the phrase that's used is, is talking about a continual filling, so one of the main passages we, we read this is in uh, Ephesians 5, verse 18. And it says, uh, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there we see, you know, be filled with the Spirit. And I heard this illustration once, and I think it's pretty, pretty helpful. Obviously, if you have a cup and you're filling it with water, eventually it gets full right to the tippity top. So how can you continually fill it more? But imagine you have a balloon that could never pop, uh, and you, you blow some air in it, and it's full, but you can always fill it up with more air, right? Because you have more oxygen, you can blow into that balloon, and it can continue to fill. And it's not a perfect picture by any means, but I think it's a helpful picture for what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It's a continual filling up. And if we read on in Ephesians chapter 5, we see what that filling up can look like, uh, what it results in, in verses uh, 19 through, well, really, into chapter 6. It, it takes a couple different, uh, what it, it shows us what it looks like. So when we're filled by the Spirit, we'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, making melody to, to the Lord, we'll praise him, we'll give thanks uh, for everything in the name of God, the Father will submit to one another, as it also goes on to say into uh, chapter six. And that's just a few different ways that when we're filled by the Spirit, those things will be happening, I believe. And I think another aspect of being filled with the Spirit is also just living by the Spirit's power. And we have talked a little bit about that as well. Uh, and it's, it's a growing uh, maturity in Christ. And I think back, Pastor J, to when you preached in Galatians chapter five. And that would be an example if we're walking by the Spirit and we're growing in maturity, uh, that's an example of us being filled by the Spirit. It's The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, uh, helping us grow in the fruits of the Spirit and things like that. Would you have anything else to add about uh, the filling of of the Spirit?
1: Yeah, I would just say that I think if we look at what Paul's saying in in Ephesians 5.18, he makes this comparison. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's this comparison there. And what happens when someone is drunk with wine is they're controlled by it. Or you might say they're under the influence of of wine, right? And contrast that to being filled with the Spirit. Well, then to be filled with the Spirit is to be likewise controlled by the Spirit, to be under the, the influence of the Spirit, Um, And that, that involves what we often would say is sort of a yielding to his control because people often say, well, how do I get filled with the spirit? And that's ultimately what it is. It's giving him control. Uh, And and we do that, like you said, by walking by the spirit, which, you know, I take as being dedicated to the spirit and depending on him um, as we, as we diligently seek to follow his word. Um, it means not grieving the spirit, as was mentioned before. And we grieve the spirit when we aren't following his commands and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then not quenching the spirit, uh, which in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 talks about, which I think is linked to as well to the word. And it's actually interesting. Um, Ephesians and Colossians are very parallel books. There's a lot of similarities. And in the section in Colossians 3, verse 16, which is almost uh, very, very similar I wouldn't say almost identical, but it's very similar to this this part in Ephesians five. In fact, afterwards, he goes on to say the same things about singing to one another and everything. Instead of being filled with the spirit there, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly rather than being filled with the spirit. And I think that's important because in a sense, being filled with the spirit is being filled with the word. And letting the, the spirit through the word do his good work in us. And, and I often think about it like a boat metaphor, like a sailboat. Um, you know, you, you put the sails up so that you can let the wind blow you and and control you and, and push you forward. And that, in a sense, is like being filled with the spirit, giving control to him so that he can move us forward. But then the rudder is like the word of God, where we make sure that where we're headed is, in fact, the spirit's leading. Uh, we look to the word to know Uh, where that, where that is. But well, one other thing really quickly too, there's a, and you mentioned this already alluded to it. There's a difference between the filling of the spirit and all these other new covenant ministries, right? Every other ministry is a one-time thing that happens at the moment of conversion and it's permanent, but filling, as you said, is a continuous thing. It's something we need to um, do over and over again. We need to give control to the Holy Spirit regularly, all the time, uh, every moment of every day. And just, I really liked your image with the balloon. That's great. Another image I found really helpful is of a sponge. Yeah. Um, so in order to let a sponge be completely filled with water, you can't do that if you're grasping part of it in your hand. I mean, you imagine grasping a sponge in it and submerging it. Well, that part you're grasping onto cannot get filled right? With the water. Well, in the same way, if we're grabbing hold of certain areas of our life, a grasping onto control, this is an area I don't want to yield to his control. Well, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to completely fill us. And so every day it's like, we need to let go of that grasp of our lives and say, Holy Spirit, fill every part of me, take control of every part of me. And when we do that, we are filled. And, and like you said, then we, we sing, like it says in Ephesians, we're thankful we submit, by the way, I think that's an important connection here that someone pointed out to me the other day. Someone who is spirit filled is someone who submits uh, and specifically submits to uh, the authorities that, that God has put over us, whether it's the governing authorities that we're told to submit to in Romans 13 and Titus 3 and First Peter 2, whether it's submitting to the leaders of the church, as we're called to do in Hebrews 13, 17, and elsewhere, or whether it's submitting within uh, marriage, as Paul goes on to talk about wives, submit to your husbands and and family children submit to your parents. I've always found that really interesting. Um, If we want to know if we're spirit filled. One of the ways we know is, do I gladly submit to the authority that God has put over me? And I think especially when he goes to family, Am I a spirit-filled believer? Maybe I need to ask my wife. Maybe I need to ask my kids, right? That's the proving ground, uh, especially, is, is the home. Uh, but also how I relate to leaders in the church and how I relate to the leaders and governing authorities God's put over me. So just a few more thoughts. But yeah, that's a huge subject and uh, uh, something that I think there's a lot of confusion about, uh, but something that can be pretty easy to grasp. It's just being controlled by the spirit and it's yielding to that control every day.
0: Yeah, and then, I mean, we could go on and on about different, different things uh, that, that the Holy Spirit does, but uh, just to mention one more thing, uh, it's very clear that the, like in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit clearly gave people power for service, uh, the Holy Spirit also gives us power for service today as Christians by giving us different spiritual gifts as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that could be certainly a podcaster eight uh, in and of itself, and so we're not going to take a whole bunch of time to talk about that. But just as a reminder, that, of course that that the Holy Spirit equips us uh, with with gifts to serve Him better, to to glorify God better as well. And so, just uh, just a thought.
1: Yeah, and and I would say you know if we want to understand what what gifts are i've defined it this way they're special abilities for service that edify the church and glorify god and we all have these gifts um sometimes people sometimes people um are really nervous about this like what are my gifts i don't know and do i need to do some kind of special spiritual gift inventory there's things like that or whatever And, and maybe that can be helpful but i always say and i said this in a sermon a while ago just look for needs and start serving and, and pretty soon you'll start to see what your gifts are. People will encourage you. People will point out whether or not this is something you're gifted in. Um, even just the success of, of the ministry you're doing um, will, will be maybe part of that. But just discovering what those gifts are, it's something that happens in the body of Christ. And uh, we, all have, we don't all have the same gifts, we're told, in 1 Corinthians 12, but all of our gifts are important. I just want to say this. Whatever church you're a part of, God has you there for a reason. He's given you gifts that your church needs. Um, gifts are primarily uh, talked about in the new Testament within the context of the church. And so your church needs you, your church needs your gifts and your service is indispensable for the growth and maturity of your church. So don't be afraid um, to serve and discover those gifts and use them, whatever they are. First uh, Peter four 10 says as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So that's just something to, to consider as well. But um, this is just good stuff to talk about. And I just want to say this, um, you know, we don't want to get into the, the issue and, and wade into controversy, um, but there are different opinions about some of the, the gifts that are mentioned, particularly what are often called the revelatory gifts of um, tongues or languages um, and, and prophecy and miracles. And we just want to be really clear. This is a secondary issue. This is not an issue that we should be divisive about. In fact, pastor Joe and I disagree a little bit on um, what those gifts are and how they're used and, and what that looks like today, whether or not they're still operative and in what sense, and that doesn't affect our brothership at all. It doesn't affect our ability to serve together. We just recognize, you know what? It's, it's not crystal clear. Um, what exactly these gifts were looked like in the new Testament and whether they're still operative today. And there's a bunch of scriptures that are, are difficult to understand in this issue. We want to come to unity. We want to continue to study and, and seek this out, but we rejoice that that doesn't come between uh, our unity as, as two pastors serving together. Mm-hmm. And it certainly should not come between our, or, or be a, a reason to harm our unity as a church here a church of the open Bible, where I'm sure we have different, Um, views of this based on our study. And it shouldn't come between us and other churches who maybe have and practice different um, understandings of this. Uh, We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've all been baptized into one body. And so just wanted to make that really clear. Let's never let something like this, that is just, if we're honest, it's not super clear in the New Testament, some of these gifts and what they are and how they work today. Let's not let that come between us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree more.
1: Great. Well, um, are, there, are there any other ministries you wanted to mention? I think we probably are going to break this up into two. <laughs> so so we got a few more minutes if you want. I mean, I would just mention one that I've always found so encouraging, and you mentioned it briefly before, but the fact that the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for yes. us, that yeah. is such an awesome, encouraging truth. Um, I, I don't remember if you if you read the passage, but in Romans 8, Uh, We read this 26 to 27. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. I mean, that right there. Wow. I mean, meditate on that for a moment. The spirit helps us in our weakness. I am so weak. I need his help all the time. And it says he does, but here's specifically how, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought ever been there before. There's a situation. Maybe it's a a difficult situation. Not sure what God's will is here, what to pray for. Maybe it's a heart-wrenching experience and just don't have the words But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think we've all been there before. Just I'm not even sure what it's just pouring out our heart, even just with groans in prayer. And the Holy Spirit takes those groans and um, uses them to intercede to us by the father. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. That's that's so encouraging, isn't it? Uh, Be encouraged, listeners. The Spirit is interceding for you. In a sense, he's praying for you. He's bringing your needs uh, before the Father.
0: And just one other thing to add, you know, you had mentioned before in in John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is our helper. Well, there's a a couple other titles that, that Jesus uses in John 14, 15, 16. He also says that the Holy Spirit is a counselor and also a comforter. And I think that comforter and that interceding for us are really very intertwined. Uh, you know, when, when, yeah, maybe something is so difficult and you just don't know what to say. And it's just like groaning. And like you said, Pastor Jay, I think a good number of us have probably been there. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit is our comforter uh, and and gives us peace. And I think that that's just so encouraging as well, you know, uh, to know we have the the peace of past understanding that comes from God and, God is within us, indwelling us, as we've said. Uh, it's just amazing to think he's our our, help, our helper, counselor, and comforter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those titles are so helpful. Just like the titles of God the Father, titles of Christ are, are really helpful in, in in getting at who Jesus is. Um, I just want to mention one other thing that is really great, and, and this comes up in those passages too, but just the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, or often we talk about his illuminating ministry. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about that. And it helps us, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the truth of God that we couldn't understand otherwise. Um, that, uh, and, and, and the more uses the word of spiritual, the more spiritual we become, the more mature we become, uh, as well. And the more filled with the Spirit we are, um, the more we come to be able to understand the word. And uh, that's so great. And actually, in First John chapter two, it talks about how. All of us have actually been anointed by the spirit um, and therefore uh, he, he teaches us. So first John two 20 says, but you have been anointed by the Holy one and you all have knowledge. I write to you because not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lies of the truth. And then later he says again in verse 27, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught of you, abide in him. So um, that's really important because obviously God has given teachers as as a gift to the church. uh, But even through that teaching ministry, this is what John's saying here, that would be pointless if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit inwardly is teaching us, giving us the ability to understand. I also think that this is important. I just want to clear up a misconception. There's language of the anointing of prophets and priests and kings in the Old Testament for being special leaders in the church. And sometimes we talk about pastors specifically being anointed. And I just have to say that I don't think that that is right. The New Testament does not talk about specially anointed individuals. Rather, here it is clear, all believers are anointed by the Holy spirit and are therefore able to understand the truth though. God gives teachers as well as a gift to help in that way, but not because they have a special anointing. They have a gift of teaching. Just wanted to clarify that. Cause I've sometimes heard that before now um, we should probably wrap things up, but there was one thing Joe and I talked about earlier as we were preparing for this, that I, we, we forgot to mention under that first question. And I think it's just one final helpful application. Joe, what is something you sometimes hear people praying um, or saying about the Holy Spirit that is problematic when we realize the Holy Spirit is a person and a member of the Trinity? Trinity?
0: Yeah, I think uh, just it. <laughs> you know, when we refer to the Holy Spirit as it, uh, as, as, as we've seen quite clearly, the Holy Spirit is not an it. If it was, if it wasn't it, there we go. If he wasn't it, uh, it would be, again, then then it makes it sound like the Holy Spirit is the power of God then, or some force. But because the Holy Spirit is not in it and is not some force or the power of God as a person, we we should say, he, as Jesus says, tons. You see, he, 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 all throughout uh, John 14, 15, 16, when, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says he all the time.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's great. Okay, we could go on and on. (laughs) Like I said, I think we'll split this up into two as you listening to this by now will know. Um, But just one final thing, any any helpful resources, any books that can, you know, you found helpful in understanding what the scriptures tell us. Before you do, I'll just mention two. Probably the best all around book I've read on this is just called The Holy Spirit by Charles Ryrie. I've mentioned his name before, just one of my favorite authors, teachers can take very complex things, make them simple. And then another would be a book called gifted by Christopher Cohn, who I had on this uh, podcast uh, a few weeks ago as well. And that's a great book to an understanding the Holy spirit's work and specifically the business of uh, the gifts of the spirit. So those would be two I'd recommend. How about you, Joe? Uh,
0: Most of what, what I've learned from uh, about the Holy spirit uh, has come from theology textbooks. A good one. I, I, like using is uh uh, systematic theology by wayne grudem it's a gooder uh it's quite thick uh pick it up buy it read it uh and then another another book also that's quite helpful it's not specific about about the holy spirit but uh it's about the trinity and it's called delighting in the trinity by michael reeves and there's a chapter in that book specifically about the trinity and i i found it quite helpful as well
1: that is a great book, great primer on the Trinity, for sure. I'd recommend that. And actually, since you mentioned Grudem Systematic, Charles Ryrie, I mentioned before, has also a book called Basic Theology. It's a little bit thinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, uh, and actually, Fred Shea mentioned that in an interview last week. But um, yeah, check that out, too. But of course, most of all, go to the primary source. Go to John 14 to 16. Uh, go to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 to, to 14. Romans 8. Uh, And other passages are are huge and the passages we mentioned today, and we'll uh, see the Holy spirit will illuminate your mind and and show you the truth about him. So hope that was helpful. It was fun for us to discuss again, went a little bit longer than we thought, but that's, that's all right. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll probably break it in half and hopefully we'll inspire you to dig deeper into the word and maybe check out some of these other books for a better understanding of who the Holy spirit is. So thanks, Joe. That was fun.
0: That was great. For listening to our discussion on the Holy Spirit, we hope you'll enjoy our podcast next week. But until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. So long.